Hello again, and welcome to the ROSC podcast. This week, we're going to dedicate this episode to all of the students out there, nursing students, medical students, PA students, whatever type of student you might be, um, but particularly in the healthcare space, obviously. Um, and what I want to touch on for this episode is sort of reframing the process of making the decision on the place that's right for you, the environment that's right for you, and asking the right questions, at least what I think might be more pertinent questions. Now, before we get into the episode, the typical reminder, if you haven't already done so, do head over to the website www.rosc.life, www.rosc.life, and sign up for the free spam-resistant weekly newsletter. In this newsletter, what are you going to get? Once a week, usually every Saturday morning, you'll get a newsletter that does three main things. One, links you to the most recent blog post and podcast. Two, gives you three bullet points to summarize that week's topic, to condense it into something that you can put into action. And number three, which is still tentative, is any and every update that we bring to the site, to the blog, to the podcast or any other projects that are coming up or released, we will announce it through the newsletter. So you'll be the first to know about it. You'll be the first to engage with it, interact with it, give feedback, etc. It's free. Just sign up. And that's pretty much it. Now to the podcast. So the three main important objectives I want to kind of get across with this stream of consciousness are this. Number one, Rather than looking at the program you're applying to and seeing what the program can provide for you and what it's going to do to you, come up with a list of objectives that you want to accomplish within your training period, regardless of where you end up. Then I want you to take that list of objectives and assess them from the perspective of what's in your control. What can you do and what can you provide to yourself and to the program that you might end up in, whichever one it is, how can you Take control of these objectives and accomplish them within yourself. Once you've done that, then revisit your list of prospective programs and see how that changes your perspective on where you think you should end up. Now, when I was coming up in residency as a medical student going to apply to residency, there were a number of questions that popped up in my mind, like, what's the leadership like? Is there going to be like a family feeling? What are the other residents like? What's the program like in terms of um, providing for me a good environment, providing me a springboard to what I might want to do in the future? How will this program provide for me the clarity that I'm on the right track? Because at the time, it wasn't very clear to me that I was on the right track. And lately... Given the current climate at the time of recording this, but this may or may not apply later, but it'll always be part of the sort of climate and environment from here on out. With how things have changed in terms of the interview process, in terms of being in person, in terms of being able to travel to other institutions versus being sort of restricted to doing your rotations or your clinical practice within your home institution as well as having to change the interview process or just the general feel of the interview process, a lot of these questions start to become the forefront of many students' minds. They be, they've 
I've noticed them get asked more and more. But in addition to that, the typical questions that we hear now, well, they weren't typical before, but the, the, the now typical questions that I've been getting asked and my colleagues have been getting asked is how do you handle the stress? How do you handle the demand? How do you handle the, the B word, burnout? This, there was always, even when I was a student, these questions coming up about, you know, would you do it again? What do you like about your job? What's your free time like? What do you do in your off time? What are your passions? And all these different questions would pop up and they were always normal. But now I notice that there's so much more emotion involved behind them. And they're sparking conversations more than just a question and answer nowadays. Now, when these questions arise, I tend to give a bit of a prepared answer and Making content for all of this stuff certainly helps me have an answer at the ready when someone asks me. And the the general, the specifics of the of the answer tend to evolve as I give the answer again and again. But the general gist, I tend to give a specific answer. But I'm realizing more and more that as we're going through this process and the questions are starting to change and the mindset's starting to change and the fears are starting to arise that weren't there before or at least not outward before... I think there might be an inherent bug or flaw with the process that's allowing these questions to exist. And maybe that's what needs to be addressed more so in principle than just tackling the questions as they come. Now, let's take residency, for example, uh, medical residency. So that can span anywhere from one year if you're doing a preliminary year to seven years if you're doing a fellowship or if you're doing neurosurgery. So depending on your specialty, it changes the length of time. Typically, three or four to five years is residency. And the common denominator of anything that you choose within this training area is it's a finite period of time, right? And that's the thing, that's something that's going to come up again and again as we talk a little bit more. But the main questions that tend to pop up that were in my mind at the time were sort of, they fall into four main questions. And that is, what's the leadership like at the program? What are the other residents like? What's the family feeling like? What's the support system like? Will I get a diverse enough pathology and a diverse enough exposure to get the most education that I can? And will this be, how effective of a springboard will it be to my future, to other endeavors that I want to go into, whether it's another job or research or fellowship or whatever your goal might be? But these were the four main questions that sort of, everybody tends to sort of dance around. And I think the general theme here is going to be extreme ownership, which has come up before. But I think extreme ownership is definitely going to play a major role in this. And I think I want it to play a role because it's a form of practice of developing extreme ownership, which will benefit you in so many other things that you're going to encounter in life and in your career. Now, the one consistent thing we know about healthcare is that it's a lifelong learning experience. The curveballs, the new pathology, the learning, the reading, all of that stuff, it never stops. And so trying to figure out how to condense as much education as you can into your training period, it's, it's essentially like trying to master your craft within the three to five years that you're training. That just doesn't make any sense. And I often give the example of like toxicology, where you can look at a snake bite poisoning, or you can look at altitude sickness. Both of them are in a toxicology textbook, but one is going to be, you're going to see it in like the 
Southwest Desert, and the other one you're going to see at the top of the Rockies or the Himalayas. You you train in one, you're going to miss the other. And if you train in one and then work in the other, you've now got another thing to learn or review. It's all a matter of experience. That's why apprenticeship was such a big thing for thousands of years. And when you go out into practice, you'll find that you'll learn from people who are in different rungs of the ladder, but just have tons more experience than you. It's a lifelong learning process, and that learning comes from every angle. And so the idea of fixating on trying to get the most education you can in a finite period of time sort of starts to become a little bit illogical. Now you take getting along with your peers and your mentors, and obviously at the face of it, this is a very important thing for our growth, both as clinicians and as people. Um, being in an environment where we're completely isolated mentally or psychologically certainly isn't going to help. But especially in the light of ownership, I think you begin to realize that things like this can only be teased out so much. There's only so much you can learn about a program in a little period of time before applying to it where you can actually figure out whether this exists or not. And that leads to the question of what will you do or what will I do in a situation where one or more of these things is missing? And that's where the ownership comes in. When we understand the fact that communication skills, um, conflict resolution, listening, when you wrap your head around the fact that these are skills and skills by definition are acquirable, practicable, you can develop them. They're not necessarily just natural born talents, although the word talent is a little bit of an odd one. When you understand that these things can be acquired and practiced and learned and mastered, you begin to start to see how asking these types of questions might, if you completely rely on it, they might lead towards a direction of you sort of throwing yourself at the mercy of the program you're applying to. Um, you're looking at it more from the perspective of what will I be given rather than what will I take? And it's important to keep in mind that these are questions that we all ask. These are questions that I ask. These are questions that still get asked today and are certainly important questions to ask. But to completely lean on them and completely rely on them, that's where I th I personally take a bit of issue in that it, it, it furthers the rendering of yourself to be, like I said, at the mercy of whoever you're going to end up with. And so when you combine all of this and you begin to wrap your head around the fact that you're dealing with a very finite period of time, you realize that this is a snapshot in a lifelong process of learning and experiencing, and you realize that a number of the things that you are seeking out for yourself and your own well-being and your own benefit, both mentally and clinically, when you realize that these a lot of these things are traits that can be trained and acquired within yourself, you start to see, or at least I start started to see, that perhaps these aren't the targets that I should be pointing myself toward. And granted, I'm not going back and looking for training again, so it's in that sense, it's a moot point. But in terms of stepping forward, in terms of looking for an institution to work at, in terms of having a certain mindset about the learning process, about my skill level, about the way I interact with the people around me, when you start to understand all of these things, you start to realize, or at least I started to realize, that perhaps rather than a list of questions to get answered, I should have a list of objectives to accomplish. And now you notice the difference. Questions to get answered, you're 
expecting it externally. Objectives to accomplish, you're giving yourself the control to be able to accomplish those things. And you'll, you may reach a point where you realize certain things are outside of your control, but reaching that point after having exhausted your effort is really the thing that makes it the most worthwhile. And it also narrows down the things that you end up having to look for or externalize. And I think there's three major benefits that you get from doing something like this. The first thing is it gives you more direction in the questions you might then ask after that. You have more directed questions. When you interview at places, you understand from your perspective in the interview what you'd like to get out of that interview, the questions you'd like to ask. The second thing that it does for you is it reframes things from the lens of control, from ownership. It gives you a perspective of what's in your hands and what you are, what's sort of independent of where you're at. And then the third thing it shows you sort of to piggyback off of these things is once I have these questions and once I've realized these other things, what do I really need to take away from that training period? It's a finite period of time. What can I do to maximize and make that time most efficient to get what I need from it? And again, it's not necessarily, I don't think it's necessarily, what can I do to gain the most knowledge in this period of time? I think asking the questions puts you in a position to sort of rationalize to yourself what are the things that are important to accomplish when I only have a certain amount of time? There are a number of things that can happen in this period of time. Gaining knowledge, gaining connections, um, working on my well-being mentally and physically and clinically, uh, gaining just experience in terms of the workplace. All different things happen. And a lot of these things are individual, right? There are things that you might experience that others might not. And I think the point of developing the understanding of creating objectives and accomplishing them it allows you to individualize your process a little bit more and tailor it to what you need as an individual rather than making yourself just a number in the system. But it puts into perspective the fact that I have a finite period of time and there are a number of things that I can accomplish. What do I need to squeeze into that finite period and what can go on beyond that period of time? And ultimately, I think the biggest success that comes out of this is it you gain perspective. You gain perspective on ownership, as we've said, but you gain perspective on self-awareness and situational awareness. It allows you to really pinpoint the things that matter the most in such a limited amount of time, in a time and a place that may be, you know, may become past tense in your life at some point, but it allows you to sort of highlight and amplify the skills that you have and that you can develop both in terms of your clinical ability and your just leadership development. So thinking back to the three insights that we started with, I guess I leave you with the question of what is it that you think you can benefit from? What are tools that you feel individually for yourself can give you the most benefit to maximize the period of time that you have? And how do you think this changes the way you see where you're going to end up. And as always, if you feel like answering that question and sharing it with the community, you're welcome to leave it in a comment on the blog post. You're welcome to leave it in a comment on the podcast. You're welcome to email it to podcast at rosk.life, which will come to me directly and I will answer it directly and even maybe answer it on the next episode. But until the next episode, I will see you in the next episode.